0: Hello, and welcome to the second edition of our NHS comms podcast. My name is Joe Blunden, and I've been working in NHS Comms for the past decade. My colleague Sue Kong and I are going to be travelling around the UK to meet with lots of interesting comms people with all sorts of backgrounds. For the second in the series, we met with the hugely experienced and hugely lovely Anna Tame from Hampshire Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. We talked about everything from stakeholder mapping to bravery in NHS Comms to getting a seat alongside the board. Here's what we had to say. So, hello, everybody, and welcome to the second edition of the NHS Elect comms podcast. Thank you all for joining us again. We had a great time making the first one, lots of great feedback. We had about 500 different comms people listening, tuning in, so it was great. And so now we're going to do it on a monthly basis. Starting right now, I am as ever joined by my lovely colleague, Sue Kong. Sue, how are you? I'm fine.
1: Thanks, Jo. It seems like a really good road show we seem to be on now. And I understand from the last bit of feedback that lots of communicators in the NHS love to see us travelling around the country... North, south, east, and west, talking to wonderful comms colleagues of ours and showing what great work they're doing. So fantastic, we've got the second one now.
0: That's it. So, who have we got today, Sue?
1: <laughs> I'm really delighted that I'm introducing you to Anna Dame, who is the head of comms and external affairs for Hampshire Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust. Now, some of you may not have heard of NHS Alet or are aware of who we are. We are a national members' organisation and we've got about 70 members. And we spend a lot of time working on site at our members' sites, helping them with communications, marketing, branding, and patient experience. So today, it's great to have a focus on our podcast, which is one of our members. And I get to hear, how does it feel from the kind of real grassroots and the challenges they face and successes they have on a day-to-day basis. Now, Anna, is probably like me. It's been there. and She has for quite a while. I think we're both around about 25 years, 26 years in the public you sector. Don't look, at it. You
0: don't look old enough. Uh, I'm so glad it's Anna. Uh, uh, Thank you for adding that.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad there's no cameras <laughs> for this recording, but. Um, What was intriguing when I was having a conversation with Anna, as I often do when I go around the country, is that Anna has over 25 years working across the NHS, education, charities and the public sector as well as the private sector. So that richness of expertise, it's so interesting for us to reflect on maybe different techniques and approaches that she finds it works in some contexts and may not be others. So I would love to explore some of that with her. So one of the things I started talking to Anna with, which sparked both our passion and enthusiasm, was this notion of stakeholder engagement. We all know we have written these massive documents on stakeholders, mapping, always resemble something from the galaxy or the Milky Way when we start mapping them and scares everyone off. But it's normally it's a very nice document. It gets presented at executive teams and the boards. And then what's next? And what was interesting when I was talking to Anna, she said she's actually developed some sort of heat map, tool, technique, approach that she takes to her monthly executive team. And I just love I love for you to share that with our, our listeners Thank you done. Sue,
2: thank you very much and thanks Jo for the introduction and um, I'm, I'm very glad that you added that uh, I don't look like I've been in the business for years. <laughs> but anyway, no it's really good to talk about this Sue, because I think it's something that's really at the heart of an awful lot of the unseen work that communications professionals do it's the bit that's below the line in a way of the radar and nevertheless it's so vital because it's all of that work that we do quietly and silently to build goodwill, to build relationships, that down the line really pays off. But you might not see the impact of that potentially until something in negative crops up and you know that you've got that support and goodwill amongst your stakeholders. So in understanding that, um, we all know that. And as you said, everybody produces their stakeholder map, their power and influence chart, don't they? You know, your four quadrants and you sit down and you you sit there kind of popping people into quadrants and you agonise about which quadrant they're in and you present it to the board and you think, thank goodness I've done that. I can say I've got a stakeholder engagement strategy. I can now make a cup of tea and never think about it again. But actually, the real place where the rubber hits the road in this particular um, minibus that we're in is what you do next. And this is the conversation we had, I think, which was, how do you turn that into a reality? How do you turn that into a useful tool, something you you and your senior colleagues can, can do? Now, this brings me on to the thought that stakeholder relations and stakeholder engagement is not the job of the comms team or the head of comms. It's the job of our senior managers, all our managers, all members of staff. And I think... People have this sort of sense that it's something we do over in a corner. Absolutely not. Can't be, can't be. So my feeling was, how do we mobilise all of these relationships that exist anyway? All our senior people, all our people have got relationships and they're hidden, they're not visible. Where is the place where all of that is accessible and everyone has sight of those relationships and their dynamics, you know, how they change, how things wax and wane. Um, so with that in mind um, I felt that making the relationships visible was the key need and like we've all got we've all got our stakeholder lists and we've got our you know quadrants um, and what I did was I, I converted that idea of your power and influence for quadrant matrixing into something that's numerical. Now, it's subjectively numerical but isn't it funny how if you've got a number on something it feels that bit more meaningful um so what what we did was we said well okay let's say let's say that influence is a criteria let's say that interest in the organization is a criteria and let's say on a score of one to ten how interested are they and how influenced are they? And then what you can do is use that as a multiplier, and that gives you a number. So you can you can dial that up and down. It's very it's very dynamic. It's very now. It means that if you feel that that relationship has improved or has deteriorated for some reason, you can make those really fine calibrations. And then you've got your multiplier, which means that you can then. And this is all terribly. I'm I'm not a person for statistics, but I get quite excited about this because it's a way of grappling the. The, uh, the nebulous yes. or something that's actually not very tangible so you can sort those lists and then you can say oh my goodness look I can see a list of all the people that we think we are rating as being really interested and influential like everybody scoring 20 and above Now, of course, the thing is that that then looks like something empirical and real, but actually, it's only what you've put in. It's only what you think. So the next step then is getting that triangulated with those people who are day-to-day running those relationships so sharing that back and saying look you know we've got this is our list of people that we think are top top influential by this little algorithm does that feel right does that feel right is that reflecting your real world experiences of that relationship and of course by the conversation that you then have generally people go yeah that is about right because you generally have a gut about these things but it gives it it gives it something concrete it gives it something you know that you can actually measure but then that the the heat map bit that you talked about I, I also I so really like because again it's with God but relationships are all gut yeah, <laughs> let's it's face true, it yeah. so we're only putting a number of something we feel and again that feels right. <laughs> but nevertheless so we then have like a rag rating which is a bit you know blunt instrument but one to five so things get you know greener or they get redder don't they? but with those two things together what you can do at a glance is you can see that you might have somebody that you think is really important to you because they're very interested and influential and you've rated that relationship as orangey, orangey red. So that's going to stand out immediately yes. as needing action. Mm. Because the only point in doing any of this is to do something about it. It's, nice. it. it's not just an intellectual exercise, although I had fun with my team doing this. But <laughs> it's actually about what you do next. So, Or, or you can see that people are... Not particularly interesting in the topic, but very influential. Um, But the relationship's very green. So that's a place to build their interest. So using those three criteria, it's very sophisticated in that sense. Right, so that would be marvellous and dandy, and I'd be ever so pleased with my pretty coloured spreadsheet. But the key bit, Sue, is what you were talking about, is that getting this to your senior management team or your executive, whatever you call it. And whenever I talked about stakeholder relations and how to manage this, I got a little bit of a frown from our chief financial officer because I think he saw the words Customer Relationship Management Database (laughs) and pound signs and, you know. And of of course, there's all sorts of sophisticated stuff on the market. But it really doesn't matter. The main thing is having that visibility in conversation. Yes. So having done my stakeholder strategy and taken it to board and recommended, a key recommendation was that SMT talk about this each month. Whether I'd done my spreadsheet or not, the spreadsheet is a Trojan horse for mm. talking about yes. it. Because it means that I have a spreadsheet in a paper every month. But the key thing is that the conversation happens mm. um and the conversation needs to be, do we think this feels right? Now, what we've also found then is the far side of my spreadsheet, Says what needs to be done by whom and when. Mm. So when you have an interaction amongst one of your senior team and they say, "Yes, I met with Councillor So and So or CEO of X Organisation, and we felt actually that it was really important that we looked at this issue together." Where does that go normally? Where does that where where does that exist? Well, for us now, that exists in my spreadsheet. <laughs> But the crucial bit about it is it says that an action is needed, is that something needs to happen. Those two, Even if it's those two people need to meet again on this topic for this reason. And so you have a, a chronology, but more importantly, you have a way of seeing the vicissitudes, like that word, the fluctuations of, of, of the relationship and also what it needs to do. And that means that you always know what you need to do next with that stakeholder and who needs to do yeah. it so it's a live organic thing it's 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 got to be and then of course where do you keep it who looks after it so we have it on our trust management share drive which is accessible to our executive and SMT team so they can go and it's not comms not comms doing this they can go in and they can look at the relationships to whom they've been assigned which are only their relationships anyway it's only what's actually happening anyway and they can say do I feel that this is right is this reflecting the relationship I've got And um, we've been doing that now. How long have we been doing that? Gosh, I would say, well, the stakeholder engagement strategy got approved by the board, I think, in January this year. Um, And so pretty soon after that, we've been doing this at every strategic SMT um, since then. And um, it's a way of keeping stakeholders as a live conversation, it's a way of making them action orientated but it's also a way of saying this isn't just a comms thing, this is a senior management thing
1: But what's a great way of raising the profile of communications and its value Uh on a strategic level, it kind of moves it away from the mundane which is still very important. Can I have a banner stand, a poster, <laughs> a, you know, internet website page, that kind of thing, which is great. But this is the thing that, as you rightly say, gives you the blueprints for everyone in the yes. organisation to where to focus their priorities.
2: Yes, I think it does. And I think the other thing that you say there, Sue, which I really like and respect, is that the comms needs to be an input not an output and all the things that you've described so so often what we do is seen as the stuff we produce, the collateral and that's great and really really important but actually when it can be most effective it's when comms is an input to decision making at a strategic level, influencing in the background and that that isn't very seen, it isn't very visible but it does need to be credible and it does need to be respected, and it does need to be there and I think this arena is one in which comms can and really demonstrate its intellectual punch.
0: How do you think that influence? comes about because I think across the country there's some cons people that are sitting as part of their executive team some that have access to boards some that don't have access to board at all that can't actually want to sit around the table but they can't mm. how do we make cons seem more strategically and seem as more vital to this kind of strategic picture? what's your advice for other comms people
2: oh it's so tricky isn't it because if you're not at the table you can't operate in that way so it means that people don't know that comms could so they don't Expected, yeah. of comms. I mean, talk about vicious circle. It really is tough. I suppose it is about being good at one's own stakeholder relations, about communications people, actually being good at communicating their own uh, contribution, or what they can make, and of course we don't because we're also flipping busy making banner stands yeah. <laughs> and leaflets, aren't we? You know, so don't don't ask me to promote myself because I'm too busy currently rewording this for the seventh time. So I think that's why. But I do I do think we need to take ourselves seriously, and I think that that has grown enormously over a short period of time. That 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 recognition of the credibility and professionalism, but as you say, it's not consistent how comms professionals are regarded across the NHS is inconsistent yeah. and, and they do have different levels of access at, at a senior uh, at the senior mm-hmm. table so I think it is challenging but it has to start with we have to be good at our own stuff don't we uh, we have to build those alliances we mm-hmm. have to look at where we can influence and through that process make ourselves a space
0: what mean for you, Joe. Well, that's what I was going to get onto, really, because I think it's so difficult to be brave sometimes when we've got such busy day jobs and we've got to just get through the day and, and we've got to just ride the challenge and get through it, but actually to kind of take a step back and think, can I challenge upwards and downwards on these things? Could I be stronger? Could I try new campaigns? Could I try things differently and have the bravery and the confidence probably more than bravery is what I'm really talking about, to go and try new things and to be bold? Mm. And I don't know if I we're encouraged to do that really in the commerce profession and whether we're supported to do that I don't know what you think Anna about, mm,
2: about that that is a really interesting one and I think we face that daily as commerce professionals um, because I mean well let's face it We are the gatekeepers often, aren't we? I mean, we we are the ones that the media will phone up first, and our job is to interpret, understand, and get information back and be open and transparent. But actually, we we have to recognise that we are on the front line of of the reputation of an organisation. So being brave always has to be weighed in the balance of the consequences of that bravery, doesn't it? It's kind of, you know, is that going to enhance or diminish... The trust's reputation. And that's yeah. what we have to be asking ourselves all the time, everything we do. Yeah. Yes. Which is why, in order to be brave, you have to have support and you have to know that you are backed in that. yeah. yeah. And that, I think, takes us full circle, really, to our initial conversation about access to senior teams, a place at the table. But it doesn't mean to say that all your recommendations and advice are going to be taken on board, far from it, but having the vital importance of being respected and supported because the comms team is a function of the trust's reputation yeah. um, and needs to sit very closely alongside those who are, who are daily constructing it too so so bravery T- tricky isn't it yeah. i mean i mean it is tricky but your other point about um the authority of challenge i I really think that's important especially when as we are all in the NHS going through change and there is always a need for looking at things differently and in that scenario I suppose communications along with with some other functions needs to hold the ring on saying actually we know the way to do this the right way to do this or we know a way that would navigate these difficulties that would involve the right people at the right time and I suppose that's about assuming our own professional credibility. So you can't be brave if you're on shaky ground. You can't be brave if you haven't got someone standing behind you going be brave because I will listen to you yeah. yes. so it, you know so a comms team can't go out and be brave on its own it has to have the organisations backing its poor and in return has to actually have some sound judgement and, and some credibility and yeah. to be knowledgeable so we have that professional responsibility which is where uh, the onus on us to go out and maintain our professional development is so important that's why training and development are so important and all of us you know we do all get in our bunker. In trust in comms, you do end up firefighting. You don't make the time to get out and to meet other colleagues, which is where NHS elect is so important, and all forms of sort of training and support mm. are. Because, because frankly, you know, you might be feeding the stoking away the, you know, in the engine room of the Titanic as hard as you possibly can. But if you're not up there on the poop deck, you're not going to see the iceberg when it's coming. Yeah. So. I don't know where that analogy came from. Sorry, Jay, sorry about that. But it is true that firefighting, in the end, you, you, you know, it will will consume you quite literally. Yeah. So, so you, you can't be brave if you're on a shaky platform. So be on a firm platform. Gather your own influence and support around you. Do your own stakeholder relations.
0: Yeah,
2: quite. Also, win some battles it's absolutely yes because yes.
1: listen to you Anna I mean, yeah, the fact that your comms team has credence and credibility and also it's because you won some battles you put them under your belt which then builds trust so when you're then tackling a much bigger war they say actually we can trust you we can work with you and if you do fail it's okay because we know 90% of everything you've done before was fine yes. And aren't we all humans? Yes. At the end of the day, yes. we have bad yes. days and sticky days, yes. you know? Yes. Yeah. But without those underneath, under your belt, mm. it's much more difficult for you to say, hey,
0: forget about yes. the little battles, let's go to the gigantic yes. war. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Yeah, choosing your battles... Right yeah. in the first place, it's such a key point. I was at Expo. I was presenting at Expo, whenever it was recently, and there was a speaker after me talking about social media. And he, he was a director of communications in a in a cute trust, and he gave the scenario of where on social media, I think it was Adrian Charles was praising the hospital, and he put a tweet basically saying the new line for the trust should be where everybody gives an F. And it was all tongue in cheek. It was all, and, and there was lots of to and fro from the trust and Adrian Charles, and other people got in with support. And this guy's comms team had mocked up a little graphic of social media. And what it was was the the trust. It looked like it was at the front of the trust. It was the trust kind of signage. And it had the trust logo. And then it had the strap line where everyone gives an F. And it was obviously tongue in cheek and it was a joke. And the director of comms at Gexway posed the question, would you be brave enough to put this out on social media? And the unanimous decision in the room was, yes, we would put it out. And then this guy calmly explained why he didn't. And actually, when I have thought about it in hindsight, I think, actually, yeah, there was a time to be brave. There is a time to be brave, but that, that isn't it. Because like you said, is that enhancing the reputation? Mm. No. We're not here to be funny. As, as Commons people, we're not here to make <laughs> jokes. It's, it's okay sometimes if we are, but we're not here to. So actually, I thought he was quite right. From a strategic point of view, like you said, our goal is to maintain reputation. Mm. And I've gone completely the other way. and I'm, I'm with him 100% of his decision. I think it's quite right not, not to... Push it for no reason. There was no benefit to that.
2: It has to be the watchword, doesn't it? It has to be. You have to have a guiding principle. And at the end of the day, goodwill, super words you used earlier on, trust, these are all the things that are the ingredients of successful communication. And you do not know. There's that black box in communication theory, isn't there, where you can put something in and something will come out. You don't know what's going to happen in the middle. And that thing in the middle is other people's heads. You don't know how they're going to interpret it. Yeah, quite. know we have to be sensitive to that so often communicators are described as the bridge aren't they between the audience and and the organisation and that's a real responsibility and it means understanding both. And in that scenario, you know, having the having the judgment call to say I understand the needs of the reputation of the organisation and I also understand the audience and how do I balance those. That's the juggling act. That's yeah. what we do all yeah. the time. And I I think I think to be honest it's quite a tough gig and it's quite hard to articulate in a way that you know, doesn't
1: bring us back to a stand and a leaflet. I was just me Jo,
2: what you said, uh, it's just,
1: it makes, that alternative view you heard, that if you didn't go to Expo, you may not have heard it, is kind of the simulation of, if you say something, what are the possible responses people can give you, Yes, and that is maybe, yes. the, in terms of the credibility of building our confidence is actually somehow having experience different viewpoints and how would you actually receive it personally but how
2: do you tackle it that's, I think that's brilliant Sue because <clears throat> um, that whole process of real world experiences um, shaping how you learn is something that you know is becoming increasingly it's on, it's on the news all the time it's how do we use this rather than by theory or by uh, something that hasn't got any real credibility in the real world and um, something that I'm going on to do in my as I, as I leave the Trust sadly after years. Years, eight there years.
1: There,
2: know that. And the door's locked. <laughs> I am very sad to leave, but I'm also really excited about what I'm going to do as a as a freelance communications consultant. One of the things that I'm going to be doing is looking at simulation training, so that's real world experiences using actor role players, so that we can, as participants, we're ourselves. But we can see the impact of how we communicate on others and what we could do differently to get a different result. Because we all know that one, don't we? That you can't change other people, you can only change yourself. And I think that's very true. And also that thing about you can read something, you can hear something, but it's never going to be as impactful as experiencing it. And so SimCom Academy simulation communications training approach puts people into a scenario where they can actually see... Actors having a difficult conversation and can say, actually, no, stop, say this instead. Mm. And it's very participative, it's very safe. It's an environment to test things, and I think something that probably communicators have always had that sense of the need to uh, sound out, and yes. say, how does this message sound? We yeah. do that a lot, don't we? We're, we're quite good at saying, uh, I'm thinking of sending this out, how does this land? Yeah. But actually, that, that has a much wider you know, implication. We could be doing that a lot more in a safe environment. It's not real, it's not yeah. live. You're not actually going to upset somebody if you don't get it right so I'm very excited about that because I think again one of the things that we all don't we don't think as communicators what we actually like doing is communicating I know it sounds bad but um, one of the things that we get so far removed from what you were saying earlier Sue about actually talking to people real actual people um, and finding that, that we're listening to them we've got a message across they've heard us and I don't know about you but I find that really energizing
0: with that training piece in mind we did have a question which was about what training have you had that's been the kind of like most beneficial to your to your comms career and I'll pass that I would, we'll all answer that question what training have you done or completed or courses or anything that you kind of thought I'm so glad I did that so I'll start what do you guys think I'll start mine is definitely without doubt my professional diploma with the Chartered Institute of Marketing I did that 15 years ago now and it literally I use it pretty much every day and pretty much everything that I do and I'm so glad I took a year to do that I did it online and all the rest of it but that was probably the most valuable thing I've ever, I've ever done so what do you reckon what's been your or a one day course that you kind of thought oh that's amazing even a webinar or anything that you kind of thought has really stood out for me and served me well
1: yeah I, I think you know we've all done courses in a whole pressure of uh, environments I think it went to being the NHL I mean, clearly, I'm much older than you, Joe. And uh, I think it's. That's not clear at all. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say to that. I'm supposed to say,
0: no, you're not.
1: No, it's like a check to a dog. <laughs> but I just think it's so important as you become more senior in uh, you know, NHS, you keep up your digital skills, you listen and read more widely than sometimes your communications and marketing background. And, and I, I think what I find energising for me is going around talking to other colleagues like Anna who work in NHS and sharing constantly sharing our learning so it's great that you learn for yourself, but I think I'm at the age now where I get a tremendous lot of enjoyment talking to the next generation of communicators in NHS and bring them forward. So I go and speak at the Warwick Business School for those who are studying uh, MSC for marketing, for example, and seeing their enthusiasm when you show them the possibilities of communications and marketing career in NHS and seeing how they light, their eyes just light up because they never thought those things we do are ever possible that they might as well join a private sector company <laughs> selling handbags or shoes is much more exciting suddenly to feel no this is great yeah. that to me the sharing of whatever i learnt with other people and other colleagues and um, other professionals is what brings me joy now
0: mm-hmm.
2: oh that's lovely yeah. <laughs> I'm there with you but I, th- I think I'd echo what you said Joe, about But early on in my career, I think qualifying as a chartered institute of marketing professional was actually just essential in order to to move on and Mm -hmm. move up really because it, it is so important that it's a profession that comes with a qualification whether it's the CIM or the you know, the, the PR yeah. or whatever it, whatever it is I do think that's important I think I've got a lot of value out of being a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and as I say that makes me feel like I ought to have an ermine robe when I say that it's, it's just, it's just, just kind hanging of...
1: <laughs> behind your desk did you notice, <laughs> yes.
2: did you notice? I thought I put it on for the interview <laughs> yeah. um, um, but the actual value in that is the networking. Mm. And, and as you said, keeping yourself alive and informed yeah. outside of, of our, you know, not necessarily just about the health sector, but about the economy, about the world as it is, because we bring all of this, we bring ourselves to the job. So, so I think that keeps me alive and informed. And I oh, know this sounds really creepy, sorry you two, but I went on an NHS elect coaching course, About a year ago? Five pounds in the post. (laughs) (laughs) Only five. (laughs) And I think that why that was so good, and it's about pointing career, I think, which is that it recalibrated my vocabulary in terms of how I, not just in terms of managing a team, in fact, not really that at all, much more in terms of our earlier conversation about influencing building relationships and building trust and although that wasn't the explicit purpose of that course it was it was about coaching and it was very well done actually what it did was give me a completely different paradigm for thinking about how to interact in order to achieve an objective so the whole concept of the coaching question Mm. and the how did you feel about that and tell me more and all of those things so the vocabulary the mode all of that has dramatically accelerated some of the difficult conversations I've had to have, going back to what you said Jo, about being brave it had gave me a lexicon, it gave me an approach which made that a lot easier, so I would say it's a technique that I put in my little rucksack of techniques mm-hmm. and has really served me well, I'm about to go into a picnic analogy so I'm going to stop there <laughs> <laughs> so yes, but no it really, it really has it, 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 because, because it is all about actual <laughs> communication. And that's what I sort of would come back to as well. But communicators, we'd be doing a different job if we didn't enjoy doing that. So anything that helps us do that better is going to be a good thing.
0: Before we go today, I just want to share some things that I've seen that I loved in the comms world recently. So the first thing I want to share is Worcestershire Acute social media. I came across that because they co presented with me at something recently. And it's brilliant. So if you haven't looked at it already, go and have a look at their Twitter feed. It's got lots and lots of variety. They tap into trends. They're really clever, really personal and engaging as well. So it's a really great one to look at. The second thing I wanted to share with you is Anthony and our good friend in comms who's now at London Ambulance Service, starting a thread on Twitter. And it's basically the top 10 accounts you'd recommend to follow to NHS comms people. And so on that thread, there's about 300 or so responses of all the kind of great NHS people to follow. So if you want to go check that out and see if you're on that list. and see Are if you're... you on the
1: list, Joe?
0: I was on Anthony's list. I don't <laughs> think anyone else on anyone else's list. But there's lots of people there. It's really, really great to find people that i would never heard of before and, and, and it's really great lists. Yeah. The other thing on all to do with social media today is on CommsLink now. When I was at my session, I asked the question of the audience, "What are your tips for social media?" And there's a huge audience there at Expo, and they all gave lots of great comments. If you want to find out what your colleagues think about social media, their tips and tricks, you can find it listed on CommsLink under social media tips. So it's just a really useful guide. Anything from you, sir? Any great things you see, Mason, that you want to share before we depart?
1: The session we ran at George Hospital yesterday. How to be a Twitter ninja, and learning very quickly how to create your own GIFs or GIFs, depending on how you want to pronounce that word. Because lots of people are using them on Twitter feeds, etc. But we tend to use current actual GIFs or GIFs you, you see already on your phones and do it. But I was just thinking it would be great, especially with our doctors and nurses and clinicians and managers and everybody else who work in the NHS, to create our own because you need a live photo. Basically, we call it as a live photo. And then on the latest apps, you can join the apps like Lively and others to do it. And then you've got your own ready-made. So there's something here about then it's just creating our own great content. So I learned something new as a technique, and again, something that we can share and create for our members.
0: Just to, to be forward. clear, she so wasn't a delegate. She was running the session with me, but she still got, got all this, which is great. On that note, you're reminding me, Sue, that we at NHS Elect and Sue and I are going to be putting together an icon library for specifically for NHS staff to use. It'll be all icons that you would want to use in your graphics that you might have to pinch from elsewhere, but we're going to put together a dedicated library for NHS staff of graphics and that icons. Sounds so if I to to say say that sounds
2: brilliant. you want to Yeah. we should have had that. Did you see the infographics <laughs> on the wall behind me? Oh, my goodness, did we struggle.
0: Well, that's it, because there's nothing really out there or you have to get and it's all American. So we're going to have that. So if you want to make use of that, in about a month's time get in touch with us and we'll have that and, and we'll put it on CommsLink and elsewhere for you, to, for you to access you see now Anna's got staying her job now <laughs> yeah well that's it the
2: infographics have done it for me <laughs> is there anything you want to add Anna anything you've seen recently in the comms world that you've no but I do want to thank you both very much for this and also to say that I really feel very passionately that the NHS has and deserves excellent communication professionals and I think the yeah. kind of work that you're doing and the kind of work that we all do in our own little worlds is so important you know it, it's really important to recognise our professionalism And to keep learning or to keep developing in this way, don't stand still.
0: So that's the end of our conversation with Anna. I think her approach to take on engagement is so practical and really hope you all found it useful too. This podcast is now going to be produced on a monthly basis, so please do subscribe to make sure you don't miss any upcoming editions. We've got some great guests lined up, including Dr. Amir Khan, Jude Tipper, Julie Haddon and many others. But until next time, thanks for listening.